wrist cracking was the director's thing. Ouch. Slate. Wait. Director Slate. Wait. You don't let me. I half cracked it and you didn't let me have it. You were, t you were struggling with it. You, oh, that's why you did it? No, you, your face said, I'm doing this competitively to steal your thunder. Yeah, you were struggling with it, and I'm like, I bet I can do it before she does. And I didn't. Saka night round two. Mm-hmm. A night that will go down in infamy. Welcome to... Thursday night. Our typical Thursday night involves talking into microphones, staring at each other for like two hours. Longingly. And then recording a podcast. And then recording a podcast on chairs that are less than comfortable. Welcome. We're happy to have you here. I have something big to announce to our listeners. What's that? I didn't even pref... You didn't even tell prep me. you. I am watching Invader Zim for the first time. What? What? Alex has introduced me to the world of Invader Zim, of which there are only 20-some episodes, which is depressing. And I'm in love with Gurr. I'm pretty sure it's like 20 two in the sense that spongebob has two episodes per episode so, so i think there's 44 okay well i'm counting two episodes as 43 Gur is the greatest thing to have ever happened he, i'm in love he's amazing so thank you for bringing me into that world i hope netflix does it justice when they make a new one but like i was saying to you last night i think it's like a an hour long, hour and a half long movie. I don't think it's a... Oh, it's a movie? I think it's a movie. Oh. But I was saying to you that they redid Powerpuff Girls and I was severely disappointed. Having watched Powerpuff Girls a lot when I was a child. I was hoping for better things. And the animation just totally weirded me out. They made it too modern and it just like... They were too hyper-realistic. You could see their hair follicles. Their pores. Yeah. No, it was just... It was weird. But I just wanted to let the listeners know that I'm doing big things in my life. You're getting finally caught up with all these 90 kids. Oh my gosh. And over the weekend, we watched Final Destination 2, which I had never seen. And that was amazing. Pretty sure it's the best one out of the five. Six. Five. I don't know. It was great. It was a really good time. I enjoyed it. I think the third one takes place at a fair. What else did we do this weekend? You say like there's a lead and I, I don't know. What else did we do this weekend? Um, You don't remember the pouring rain 5k we ran? That was this past weekend? Yeah, dude. What? You don't remember this? No, it feels like that was, no, I feel like that was longer ago. No, we haven't talked about it. So we ran a 5k in... At a, uh, a winery, brewery, cidery. Everything. My dad calls Coffee it roastery. Disneyland. I think I said that part that my dad calls it Disneyland mm -hmm. of breweries. But anyway, so we went there on Saturday and 
first of all, it was... It was a good while before it started. It was really exciting when we got there. Uh, there was, like, a DJ and free monster and, like, a lot of people. That was your first monster. Yeah, I had my first monster. Was it your first monster? Oh, no. Okay. I was, like, an alternative kid in high oh, school. Oh, please. Monster was for the people who wore camo, not alternative kids. I was in ROTC, so I wore camo. Okay, anyways, it was very fun. And then it was our time to run, and it took a turn. And another turn. And we went down a hill and up a hill. No. Over a cargo net. Okay, I thought I was, like, giving you the option to flesh out the story, but I guess I'll keep going. Yeah. Hear your sultry voice. <laughs> so we started our run, and it was fine. Um, we went running through the vineyards, which was, like, a little bit nerve-wracking for my ankles because it was so uneven. And um, we did a couple obstacles, one of which was, like, a cargo net up and down, and I totally had a panic attack at the top because I'm afraid of falling, not heights, but falling. And then you were like, it's fine, and I was like, and then we kept running in the sky. And like we had looked at the weather and we knew that it was supposed to rain. We just didn't expect it would during our time. Right. So we get about, I don't know, a third of the way, I would say, maybe. And then. The, I'd say half. Mm, yeah, maybe. And the sky just opens up into the most torrential, painful. I swear it was hail, rain that you could ever imagine. But we got through it. Well, I'm not done. Oh. So we're running around and we kept being like, well, first of all, we were, I mean, I can't speak to you, but I was miserable. It was cold. It was wet. Like you couldn't see and everyone's walking now, but we're still running and um i mean what's the point of walking you're just gonna be out <laughs> no in it i was like let's get through this we still had to go through the obstacles unfortunately the wind picked up so much that they had to take down the one fun obstacle which was an inflatable slide um but we kept being like oh maybe it'll let up oh maybe it will lessen no the rest of our race it was just torrential it became less stabby in your face as you were running though are you serious i could not see by the end it w didn't hurt as much i was hurting the whole time and we were cold and we were wet but we did get through it like you said and the pace we ran wasn't awful and then we were supposed to have like a bunch of wine tastings and stuff and we did taste some wine and some cider slash beer but because it was raining outside, everyone was shoved indoors. So it was like super crowded and unfortunate. So we like cut out early. And then I tried to change in the bathroom, which I'm like, I hate changing in public bathrooms because it freaks me out to be like so exposed with all that germs. And I was like, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to do this. Well, I went in the stall and there was just poop smeared all over the floor. So I was like, I'm not brave. So I changed in the car. Oops. I changed in the car. Then I left my sneakers out in the field. It was a sacrifice of the running guys. <laughs> then you were not guaranteed. You were guaranteed to not have an injury. No. Yeah. Thank you. I hope not. Um, 
Then we went to another brewery on the way home, and we were starving. Well, we went to two, yeah. But the first one we went to, we were starving, and their menu was, like, not very gluten-friendly. Of which I'm drinking one of their beers. Hmm? Of which I am drinking one of their beers currently. Oh, how is it? What is it? The bourbon barley one. From? Bottomless Brewing. Is it good? Yeah, I haven't had a barley wine in a while, so it's hard to compare it to a... I, I used to love barley wine beers. But we went and to... I'm drinking a cider from the place we went. It's for the 5K. I'm drinking the uh, Red Apple Bombshell cider from... Uh, what's War Horse. War Horse, yeah. It's a bussy woman doing something. I don't know what she's doing. The place we went to... Um, I guess Bottomless Brewing, because they said it already. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the name, to be honest. Ordered chips and salsa. Right, because the menu was not gluten-friendly. As one does, expecting... Six dollars. You know, you're expecting as much as you would from chips and salsa. Yeah, like a basket. And it was like, what, 12 chips? It was one... A handful of chips. <laughs> yeah, it was a small dinner, like the small side salad plate. And it was half of it. a half of a ramekin of salsa no no it wasn't even a ramekin it was one of those like here's a little extra side of blue cheese cups that you get at a pizza place the plastic ones you know no i don't order blue cheese from pizza places what who doesn't order blue cheese with their wings pizza yeah but you get wings and pizza and then if you get an extra side of blue cheese it's in that little plastic cup maybe american pizza i order from places that don't have wings certified italian and they don't have wings no it's all italian but what about wings? Italian? Just because they serve Italian-style pizza doesn't mean they can't have wings. No, but like their entrees and stuff they do, they don't <laughs> do like burgers or other stuff. It's like pasta dishes and chicken parm and stuff. You sound like a snob. Are you a pizza snob? And bagels. Because Long Island has the best bagels. You've been eating pizza in Ithaca quite often. And it's okay for what it is. Oh my gosh. It's apparently delicious. Never had it, but... So it was quite the adventure we went on. And then the next day we ran nine miles training for our half marathon. Because we're nuts. I guess. What a weekend. And now the weekend is almost here again. Thank God. We have taco night tomorrow. Taco Friday, Tuesday. Taco Friday, Tuesday. You know it. Um... Do you have anything else? No. I mean, that's quite a bit. I mean, when we get to my story, I'll have another anecdote, but... Oh, wow. Looking forward to it. When we get to your story, because it's my turn. Which means this is like sake night, because you went second on sake night. And you were just like, blah, 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 blah. How, what percent is that? Like nine. Oh, it's not sake. 8.3. Okay. All right. So this is... um Last week, I did Ira Einhorn... Which is a uh, high-profile case. This case that I'm doing today is also kind of high-profile. Man or woman? It's complicated. Why? Did you do a high-profile case? Somewhat well-known. Is it complicated? I'm not in determining whether it's a man or a woman. Perfect. We didn't do the same one. (laughs) 
There's this like weird circle on my computer that just keeps showing up and I don't know what it is. Is it a blue circle? No, it's this tiny baby circle. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Tina Ray Brandon. Ring a bell? No. I'd never heard of this person. Was born in Lincoln, Nebraska on December 12th, 1972. And she was born female but transitioned to a male later in life. So from here on out, Tina's pronouns are going to switch to the male pronouns. Unless you're talking about early life. Right. No, I'm just gonna no, I'm just gonna do it for the whole thing. Okay. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, but for most of the articles I read, they like said that little blurb, and then from then on out, all the pronouns were male because they saw themselves as a male the whole their whole life, whether or not they had transitioned. So, eight months prior to his birth. Um, his father died in a car accident and he was raised by his mother, Joanne, and lived with his sister, Tammy. He and his sister were both named after their German shepherd, Tina. Tina was taken by Tina and then Tina and Tammy are similar. And so I guess the German shepherd was like a great dog or something. When Tina was three and Tammy, oh, I thought Tina was older and now I'm remembering and reading. Why would they say Tina as a second child if they're naming it after the dog? Anyway. I'm sure the dog's name wasn't Tammy. Oh, it's Tina Marie. Tina and his sister Tammy went to go live with their grandmother, but then returned to their mom when Tina was three and Tammy was six, and they moved into a trailer in the Pine Acre mobile home. While they were there, Joanne lived off of disability checks and money from working as a clerk in a retail store so they weren't super well off and when they were kids both tina and tammy were both sexually abused by their uncle for years um tina sought out therapy for this later in life growing up tina's family described him as a tomboy and when he was a teenager he started to identify as a male and started to date females. Um, But Tina's mother rejected this identity and continued to call him her daughter no matter what. Both Tina and his sister Tammy attended Christian schools as children, um, but when he was there, he was kind of a loner, awkward, confused, etc. He protested against the school's opinions on abstinence and homosexuality and started to dress against the dress code and dressed in a more masculine way. In his first semester of high school, the U.S. Army came to recruit kids to join the Army, and later when he turned 18, he enlisted in the Army hoping to participate in Operation Desert Shield. However, Tina failed the written exam for the Army, saying that he was male and All of his doctor's notes and everything said that that was not true. So he did not make it into the army. And while he was in high school, he started calling himself Brandon instead of Tina. Because his name was Tina Brandon. So he went by Brandon Tina. In December of 1990, Brandon went uh, went to Holiday Skate Park in his hometown. He bound his breasts together. Or to his chest, rather. Not together. <laughs> you and a boob. 
um, and wanted to pass as a boy. And through this connection of like going to the skate park and binding and whatnot, he uh, went on a date with a 13-year-old and then met her friend Heather also, who was 14. How old are they? 18. (laughs) He just went on a date. After age plus six? It it doesn't work if it's criminal, but they didn't have sex. I mean, it was whatever. Close to graduating high school, he became almost a different person. So when he started middle school and high school, he was confused, awkward, shy, a loner, etc. But once he started to you know, take on the full male personality that he felt belonged to his body. Um, He started to get more outgoing. He was, like, kind of like the class clown. Uh, He started to have more friends and things like that. But he grew less and less interested in school because he did not believe in what they were teaching and he thought that they were closed-minded, etc. So he started to skip classes and he was failing. And um, And in June of 1991... Three days prior to his graduation, he was kicked out of high school. I was going to say, that's really awfully close to <laughs> high school being over. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he did not graduate. That same summer, in 1991, Brandon started a serious relationship with Heather, the girl he met at the skate park. Mm-hmm. And he started a job as a gas station attendant in his his big plan was to work at the gas station long enough so he could buy a trailer for himself and for Heather. Brandon's mom, Joanne, did not approve of the relationship. So she had Tammy, Brandon's sister, follow the two of them. To because see- in her mind, it's a lesbian relationship? Yeah. Yeah. So he had ta- she had Tammy, the sister, follow the two of them to see if there was any se- sexual components to their relationship. Things kind of got a little bit rough for Brandon the following year. In January of 1992, Brandon underwent psychiatric evaluation, which concluded that he was, quote, having a sexual identity crisis. They needed to put a name to it and make it sound wrong. And he was taken to Lancaster County Crisis Center to make sure that he was not suicidal because he had overdosed on drugs had an eating disorder and had some mental instabilities that um, kind of um, showed themselves as OCD type behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. In particular, he would take about seven showers a day and change his clothes seven times. Seven's a good number. I guess. And I wonder like if the like the eating disorder has to do with like, not feeling like your body is right. What kind of just eating disorder? I didn't see. And if the showers were like having to do with like his childhood trauma of being sexually abused and like feeling gross about it. I don't know. Three days after he was taken to Lancaster County Crisis Center, he was released and started going to therapy he went to therapy alone on some of the occasions. Sometimes he went with his mother and sometimes with his sister. And during therapy sessions, he did not want to talk about sexuality, but eventually brought up his childhood rape, and that's when everyone heard about it for the first time. In 
1993, Brandon moved to Falls City, Nebraska and started to identify as a male. He moved in with a friend, Lisa Lambert, and started to date her friend, Lana Tisdell. So the, the other, he and the other girl broke up? Yeah. It was, wasn't meant to be, you know? There's a four-year age difference. There's a four-year age difference. I mean, that... He wasn't getting the mobile home. Realistically, the a four-year age difference isn't that... At that point, it is. Yeah, but as you grow older, it isn't anymore. Well, yeah, it shrinks, but like 18 and 14 is a big difference. Um, 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 um. So he's living with Lisa, dating Lana, and he's starting to hang out with two ex-cons, John Lauder and Marvin Nissen. Nissen? Nissen? Let's go with Nissen. On December 19th, 1993, Brandon was arrested for forging checks and Lana paid for his bail. Because Brandon was put in the female section of jail, this is when Lana learned for the first time that he was transgender. He, Lana questioned him about the fact that he was in the female section and he said that he was a hermaphrodite and was trying to get a sex change. And she heard this and was like, okay. I understand. That's fine. So they continued to be a couple. But the arrest that was made against him was put under his birth name and that exposed his actual sex to some people that did not know that he was born female. So his whole community that he had made in Falls City kind of just knew without him wanting them to. At a Christmas Eve party, having found out about this... Nice, uh, Neeson and Lauder, his two ex-con friends, mm-hmm. grabbed Brandon and made him remove his pants in front of all the guests, proving that he was born a female. And he, they wanted Lana to look at his genitals to see that he wasn't a hermaphrodite, and she didn't want to, and she didn't want to, but then they forced her. And so then she found out that he wasn't a hermaphrodite. Um, then... Neeson and Lauder took him in their car to a nearby meatpacking plant, assaulted him, and then gang-raped him. Sorry, Mom and Dad. (sighs) Broke the streak. Sorry. They then brought Brandon back to Neeson's house, where they made him take a shower, and he escaped through the bathroom window. Classic. Never give him a chance. Where he ran to Lana's house. Lana was still a great person and still cared a lot about Brandon. And she said that he had to file a police report, even though the two men had threatened that if he said anything, they would silence him permanently. When Brandon went to the emergency room, they conducted a rape kit. And the sheriff in charge of the case, Charles Lowe, I think, L-A-U-X, I think it's Lowe, I don't know. Asked a lot of questions, but none of them were the important ones. None of them were like, what happened? Where are these men? Blah, blah, blah. The questions he asked instead were more about being transgender and everything like that. And Brandon was really disrespected and he was really offended and didn't answer these questions and didn't understand why they weren't asking the actual important questions. Neeson and Lauder heard that 
Brandon had gone to the police even though they had told him not to. And so they started to look for him Mm -hmm. to try to hunt him down like they promised. The police, knowing the names of the two men that had raped him, went to go look for Neeson and Lauder and they found them. But they did not arrest either of them because they said there wasn't any real reason to, that there wasn't any evidence to bring them in. So they were like, now boys, don't do this again. And then they left. At 1 a.m. on December 31st, 1993, Neeson and Lauder drove to Lisa Lambert's house and broke in. They found Lisa in bed and questioned her asking where Brandon was, and she said that she didn't know or she wouldn't say or anything like that. They looked around, and Neeson found Brandon hiding under his bed, and so knowing that Lisa was there and knowing where Brandon was, they asked if there was anybody else in the house besides the two of them, and Lisa said that Philip Devine, who was dating Lana's sister, was also there. So they dragged Philip into the room with the two other people, and they shot Philip, Lisa, and Brandon in front of Lisa's toddler, who was also in the room. Neeson noticed that Brandon was still twitching, so he asked Lauder for a knife and then stabbed him as well, and then they left. The three people dead, and a toddler. Neeson and Lauder were charged and were arrested and charged with murder. Um, Neeson accused Lauder of committing the murder, but admitted to being an accessory to both the rape and murder, and testified against him so his sentence was lessened and instead was only sentenced to life in prison. Lauder denied everything that Neeson said, so because of this inconsistency, most of his testimonies were discredited and thrown out because they said, well, you're not telling the truth. And he received the death penalty. In September 2007, Neeson recanted his entire testimony and said that he was the only one involved with the murder and that Lauder had nothing to do with anything. And using this, in 2009, Lauder tried to appeal to the court using this new testimony saying, well, look, he's taking it all back. But the court rejected it, saying the identity of the shooter was irrelevant The two of the men murdered that group. In August of 2011, a court of appeals rejected his appeal, Lauder's appeal for a rehearing. So he then tried to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they denied to review his case at all. In 2012, he also tried to appeal again, and it was denied. And January 22nd, 2018, he was denied a third appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Is it 13? 18. 18, 2018. He was denied a third appeal. Brandon is buried in Lincoln, Nebraska. And his mom was in charge of the funeral and everything. And his headstone says daughter, sister, and friend. Has anyone gone out and rectified that? Nope. This makes me want to punch someone in the face. Maybe her. Probably dead. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Ugh, it's messed up. Um, this whole thing that happened left quite a legacy behind. Uh, so because Brandon didn't have hormone replacement therapy or a sex reassignment, 
the media sometimes referred to him and still refers to him as lesbian, even though he identified as male and had a plan to um, have a sex reassignment when he could afford it. His mother, Joanne, sued the county and the sheriff for failing to prevent his death. And she was one. She was one. She, she won. was a one. She was the one. She won and was awarded $80,000. But then another court judge said, nah, Neeson and Lauder were mostly responsible, not our county. So he reduced the award by 85%. But then in 2001, the Na- Nebraska Supreme Court reversed said reduction by 85% and then gave her the full award because she was suffering and everything. Then they gave an additional $6,223.20 for funeral costs. Then they awarded an additional $12,000, which was broken up into $5,000 for a wrongful death and $7,000 for emotional distress. So she got... Cool hundred thousand. Nah, ninety eight thousand two hundred twenty three dollars and twenty cents. Sheriff Lowe was criticized severely on how he handled the case, especially for his attitude toward Brandon. He was known to call Brandon it, said he or she, or they, on many many occasions, and he still re- refuses to speak about the case. And on the 20th anniversary of the death, he, like, blew up and swore at reporters and stuff like that. In 1999, Brandon was the subject of a film called Boys Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. You've heard of it. Yeah. See? You have heard of this person. Featuring... No. Nicholas Cage. No. <laughs> Hilary Swank and Chloe Sepigny. She's the mom in... Uh, the act, the other mom. Yeah, I know. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Though I don't know. Sure. Uh, Lana, the girlfriend, sued the producers for unauthorized use of her name slash likeness. She said they depicted her as lazy white trash and a skanky snake. And she worked out a settlement with the producers for an unknown sum. Joanne said that she was against the media referring to Brandon as he and Brandon in all forms. And she got angry when Hillary Swank won an Oscar and in her speech thanked Brandon and referred to him as male. But later in, two th- two, uh, blah, 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 blah. Later in 2013, she said that she was fine with the media calling him transgender. She said, quote, it gave them gay and transgender advocates. A platform to voice their opinions, and I'm glad of that. There were a lot of people who didn't understand what it was she was going through. We've come a long way. And then um, she was interviewed at a later date on what life is like without having her child. And she said, quote, I wonder how my life would be different if she was still here with me. She would be such a joy to have around. She was always such a happy kid. I imagine her being a happy adult. And if being happy meant Tina living as a man, I would be fine with that. I'm not convinced that that's true. But... Hashtag at least you tried. Hashtag too little too late. 
Um, and that was a real quick Brandon Tina synopsis, which is really sad and messed up and wrong in so, so, so many ways. So that was my story. And now, a word from our sponsor. Singular. Alex, do you like wine? Most of the time, yes. <laughs> do you like getting packages in the mail? Yeah, because I don't often get them anymore. Exactly. I'm not in college, so I don't get a package like once a week. Oh, who gave you a package once a week? Parents. Wow, lucky. Anyway... You can combine your love of wine, or most of the time your love of wine, and the love of getting packages in the mail through Wink's Wine Subscription Club. Wink is a, like you said, a wine subscription club that partners with some of the best wine producers and uh, wine growing regions in the world to bring those delicious flavors right to your doorstep. If you go on their website, you can do one of two things. You could take a flavor profile quiz, and they can curate a selection of wines for you or you can go and hand pick wines if you have specific types that you know you already like either way you can select wines put them in your cart once you push go it can be sent right to your door and if for those of you that haven't um, tried that service yet if you go to trywink.com slash sad tales you get 22 dollars off your first box of four bottles of wine and complimentary shipping what could be better than packages, wine, $22 off, and complimentary shipping? It's a great induction or introduction offer to um, this great service out and uh, maybe find some find a new wine style that you didn't know was out there and now you like it. We love Wink, so you should try it out. So if you're interested in getting packages delivered to your door filled with wine, head over to trywink.com and use our code SADTALES to get $22 off your first box of four bottles of wine and complimentary shipping. That's trywink.com slash SADTALES. Enjoy! All right, tell me a tale. 1859. Yeah, that was like yesterday. Yesteryear. Mm-hmm. Four score. And yesteryears ago. We are going to travel to the town of Selbu. <laughs> what? Norway. That's made up. All towns are made up. And there in Selbu, Norway, I'm assuming it's Selbu, um, born on November 11th, 1859, was Brynhild Pulslatter Storset. Brynhild? Brynhild. Is that a woman? Yes. Nice. Um, Brynhild grew up on a farm in like a poor situation. Her family didn't have a lot of money. Um, some reports that I saw said her father was a traveling conjurer and magician. Like the Wizard of Oz. You want to see some magic? Um, is some... that it? Ready for some? What is his catchphrase? What? Who are you talking about? The guy in the commons. Uh, I don't know. I've never. What? You've seen him a million times. I've seen times. him, but I don't. I've never like interacted with him to know his catchphrases. Oh. So, like I said, some articles mentioned her father was a traveling magician and conjurer. Um, and those articles also said that. Brynhild had some involvement and she would do type, tightrope work cool. with her. So I guess her dad was also like, had a carnival because I don't know why a conjurer would have a tightrope. Tight rope. You would probably travel to other such businesses. Um, also for the rest of this story, she's going to become later known as Belle. 
So I'm just going to call her Belle instead I mean, of Brynhild. Brynhild is more fun, but I'll, I'll allow it. Um, in 1881, when Belle was 22, she moved to the U.S. in search of the American dream, and she found that in Chicago. The musical? Yeah, with Cher and some other people. What on yeah. earth? I'm thinking of... Uh, You're thinking of burlesque. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago, now featuring Cher. In Chicago, she also found an immense amount of bad luck. And Cher? Cher. I don't know. Share. <laughs> Sorry. An immense amount of bad luck. In Chicago. This, okay. If you believe in that. In Chicago areas. About two years after coming to the U.S., she met and married a Swedish man named Mads De- Dietliv Anton Sorensen. No, what? That's not real. Um, a couple articles said they either had four kids or they had no kids. That's a big deal. And then adopted some kids. Okay. So... Who knows? Kids undecided. I'm going to go with they had their own kids. Um, those children's names were Carolyn, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. Axel. Um, both Carolyn and Axel never lived past infancy. Bummer. Uh, they died of what would appear to be acute colitis. That's not cute. And symptoms <laughs> expressed in that from that disease, sickness, are very similar to many poisoning symptoms. Okay. Put that in your brain for okay. later. Um, Belle was able to collect insurance on those two. Oh, sure she was. Dead children. That doesn't sound like bad luck. That sounds like purpose. Mm-hmm. Purposeful. Bad Well, situations. from the outside, it looks like bad luck. Oh, shucks. Her babies died. and Who gets insurance on babies? Aren't like life plans for people that are... If you want to pay for it, more you More alive than that. Insurance companies aren't going to say no to money. Okay. Um, two years after being married to Mads, a candy store that the couple owned burnt to the ground. They were able to collect insurance on that. I could see that happening really easily. Candy gets so hot. Um, in 1900, Belle and Mads' house burned down. They collected insurance on that. I'm assuming so. I didn't see that, but I assume that if they had insurance on their dead kids and their candy store, they probably had it on their house. Jake is rolling in it. Jake? From State Farm. Oh, okay. I'm sure it's Jake. Yeah. Sure. Um, on July 30th, 1990. Mads wait, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No. 1900, sorry. It's <laughs> like, no. No. And on July 30th, 1990, they were already dead for many years. July 30th, 1900, um, Mads died. She collected insurance on that. Uh, coincidentally. No. Or suspiciously. Everyone look at it. Mads died on the one day that both of his life insurance policies overlapped. So they both paid out. Oh my god. She's smart. Or is she? Maybe it's just fate. Maybe All she's these things born want. with it. Yeah. Maybe it's robbery. Um, the first doctor that examined Mads' body believed that he died from strychnine poisoning. Um, but the ultimate cause of death was attributed to Mad's enlarged heart that he had been being treated for. So they just give it up to he died of heart failure. Was he the Grinch? You know, the Grinch's heart grew so many sizes it burst out of that frame. It Mm -hmm. always looked unhealthy to me. Well, man, even in that tiny heart, maybe that's just like of whose heart. And the Grinch is not a who, so it has to be bigger than whose heart. 
I could imagine that this whole story of the Who's and the Grinch would take place in somewhere like Sweden or Norway, right? Yeah, probably. It's snowy and they're all nice and blonde and nice, and they have weird names like and weird instruments. Cindy Lou Who and yeah, bamboozlers or King Tonkerers or um. So Mads was ultimately died due to a heart failure, quote unquote. Um, Bell told doctors she had been giving Mads a medicinal powders to help him with his condition. Who knows what those were? It was just chalk. Could have been. <laughs> Crushed up Alka-Seltzers. <laughs> and uh, he was never constipated. Never. Does that help? With oh, is that just heartburn? What does yeah. it do? I think it's heartburn. Like People also take it after um, hangovers and stuff. It's supposed oh. to help with headaches. And I don't know anything. Following Mad's burial, Bell was able to collect about $8,500, roughly 259000 now. What? From that insurance payout. Um, with that money, she bought a farm on McClung Road in LaPorte, Indiana. I just thought that was a fun name. It is. There in LaPorte, she met a fellow widower, although he would choose, he's a widower, she's a widow. Yeah. Named, so it's not a fellow widower. Yeah. Unless unless we're both doing transgendered cases, in which, maybe. Maybe. Um, she met a man named Peter Gunnis, a fellow Norwegian with who had two daughters. Uh, one was named Swanhilda, <laughs> and the other one I did I did not see a name, so. How does she keep meeting these people? Is it like Norwegian mingle or something? Uh, like we'll get there, but she's been described as comely or comely, however you want to say that word. Comely? Comely. C O M E L Y. I'm pretty sure it's comely, but I don't know. She was described as comely. What does that mean? Attractive. Okay, but how's she finding only people from Norway and Sweden? Oh, so we get to that because she just you know, it's a whole thing. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not pronounced comely. Just saying. So just after two years uh, after Mads died, she was married again to this new man, Peter Gunnis. Um, married with was good, you know, for a while, as it always is. It starts to go downhill. Wow, except, Alex. Except this time it went downhill real fast because about a week after being married to Peter, uh, Peter's infant daughter died while being watched by Bill. Bad luck. At some point, the couple also adopted a young girl named Jenny Olson. No relation? Probably not. To the Mary-Kates and Ashleys? They are blonde and blue-eyed, aren't they? They might be from Norway. Wait, did they collect life insurance on the infant that died? I did not see. Okay. Um, December 1902, about nine months into their marriage, Peter was going to pick up his slippers near the stove when he burned himself on some hot stove brine. Okay. He then, recoiling from this, knocked a sausage grinder off the top shelf and bludgeoned himself to death. Well, that's a bad accident. There's no way she did that. Except townsfolk were not very sold on this whole thing. What? Oh. Peter was like the butcher in town. He oh, ran a hog oh, farm oh, and he oh. was not okay. that clumsy. Oh, oh, I mean, you could be clumsy and a butcher, but okay. So that's what th- that's what she said happened. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily. I was like, I mean, how could she? Okay. Also, like, why reach your hand near some boiling brine on the stove? I don't know. Why are you boiling brine? Okay. 
You have to you have to get it hot, and then you put the whatever you're gonna pickle. Yeah, oh. in it. Um. So Bell and Swan Hilda live together for about a year. Well, what about the other sister? They're also there, but just okay. for the purposes of this. Okay. Because now that Peter's dead. Okay. Um. For about a year until Peter's brother, Gust. G U S T E. Nope. Just G U S T. I was gonna say maybe it's Gusta. Uh, took Swan Hilda to Wisconsin. Just a fun fact. <laughs> Your facts are so fun. Uh, Peter's death netted Bell uh, about three hundred, uh, $3,000, which is now about $90,000. Why is that worth less than the other one? Was that other previous husband $200 and some thousand dollars? He, b- 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 he was, was 8500 Okay. That's just they had different life policies. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So, like I said, Tansfolk were not super sold on the fact that he would have bludgeoned himself to death after burning himself on the stove. Right. So a um, murder inquest was started to like look into it. Um, Jenny Olson, the girl that was adopted, was overheard telling a classmate, "My mama killed my papa. She hit him with with a meat cleaver, and he died. Don't tell a soul." Oh. When Jenny was brought in, she said, I never said any, I never said that. <laughs> um, somehow Belle was able to throw a suspicion off herself. Um, and she got the coroner to see herself as a victim in all of this also. She's like, I didn't, why would I kill my husband? This is like awful. I'm, I'm devastated. She's a sad widow. And the coroner was like, all right. In May 1903, about six months after um, her husband died, Belle gave birth to a baby boy named Philip. By 1906, Jenny had begun to be less seen around town. Classmates were wondering where she was. Townsfolk mm-hmm. was like, she's gone. I don't know what happened to her. Belle told neighbors and people in town that she had gone to a finishing school in Los Angeles. A finishing school? Because we're Sweden, Norway, Finland, Finnish? No. Darn it. Sorry. I don't think uh, the Scandinavians are big in Los Angeles. Yeah, but... They could have sent her to a Finnish school. They could have, but... Okay. She missed her chance. She just sent her to be taught about how to be a lady. Mm-hmm. I need to go. Um, where was I? Finnish. Ing. F-I-N-N-I-S-H. I-P-P-I. <laughs> Finnish hippie. Finnish hippie. Finnish hippie. <laughs> So basically this entire time, Belle had been running um, this hog farm by herself. So in 1907, she hired a farmhand by the name of Ray Lampier. Was he from Scandinavia? I don't know where he was from. He does not look great in the pictures that I saw. <laughs> he doesn't look great. Um, about the same time, Belle started placing ads in local Scandinavian papers in the singles column. What the heck? What? Am I missing something? Is there a huge Scandinavian population? In Indiana? Sure. I don't know. I guess. Although, based on my 23andMe results, not sponsored, a lot of my ancestors came into New York and a lot of people went over to like Chicago. So I guess then they dispersed from there. That's wild. Okay. Um, so she pace, placed this ad in the singles column. Comely widow who owns a large farm in one okay, of the. Okay, I need to look this up. Who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided, 
with the view of joining futures, no replies by later by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow. Answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. Yeah, why are you saying comely? It's comely. Like the word come and then lee. I think you keep saying comely. I think what is comb it? like you gotta beautify spe- yourself. It's not spelled like that. From here henceforth, please pronounce it as comely, not comely. Being a comely. 46-year-old. Okay, all right. She, I course, need someone who has as much money as a pig farm. Uh-huh. XOXO. If you're going to just... Rep- Broomhilda or If you're just going to write letters, I don't want you. Brunhild. Brumhild? Brunhild? Brunhild. Duh. Duh. Um, so, yeah, being like a, the young 46-attractive-year-old woman that she was. Comely. <laughs> yeah. She, of course, got many suitors calling. The local postman said she got about eight letters a day. (laughs) Also, I'll show you pictures afterwards. Doesn't look that great either. Did they send, like, dick pics in the Uh, letters? um, Dick illustrations, okay. They had cameras. Yeah, but you had to stand there for, like... I'm pretty sure we've had a discussion about when cameras were invented. You still had to stand there for, like, 20 minutes waiting for... With a little curtain over your dick. (laughs) The dick curtain. Well, that's only for the person taking the photo. Yeah, but you're taking a selfie, presumably. Or is this a dick pic you hired someone to take? A, you for have you? to. You have to hire someone. You can't position <laughs> it. You get around to look inside what it looks like. Put it in the Scandinavian classifieds. Now looking for dick photographer, penis photographer. That's why you. It's an illustration. Phallic photographer. Pp. Looking for the pp. You got a pee-pee? Call code. me, me. Yeah. You got a pee-pee? Draw my pee-pee. No, take a photo. <laughs> uh, one of the first men to come and visit... <laughs> Diddy. <laughs> Sorry. The visit Bell was... His name was John Moe from Minnesota, and he brought $1,000 to help pay off Bell's mortgage. Why? What? Okay. Triflers, need not, back a, then, triflers not, need not apply. I guess they were stupider back then. Um, or at least that's what uh, Belle told her neighbors. It's like, this guy is my... Uh, he's. Uh, she told her neighbors that this is my cousin. He's bringing $1,000 to help me pay off my mortgage. Maybe I should make an ad of the classifieds. <laughs> help, I'm comely. Uh, I got... Please bring money. <laughs> help me, I'm poor. Uh, about a week after that, he was just gone. Never seen again. She does live on a pig farm. Mm-hmm. Pigs will eat anything. It's mm-hmm. not like a goat farm. Go for, goats will eat anything. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after that, another man came calling from Missouri named George Anderson. Um, Bell raised the issue that she needed help with her mortgage, and George said she would help once they got married. Oh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, later that evening, George woke to Bell standing over him with a candle and an odd expression. <laughs> Uh, Bell just suddenly ran from the room, and then George is like, fuck this, and then he w- went back to Missouri. Yeah, fair. Good job, George. Some articles I read said it was a guttering candle. What's that? It's like, it's like flickering or like sputtering. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if that, if that, if that, if that makes it creepier or not. Uh, I think that it all is creepy no matter what. I think if the lights were on and you had someone standing over you, it would still be weird. <laughs> Um, despite that, Bill continued to get suitors coming by, and she also began ordering large steamer trunks to her house. Aww. The delivery driver remarked how 
easily, Belle was able to throw these trunks onto her shoulders and carry them into her house by herself. She's a strong, independent woman. She needs many men um, to die. Different articles said different things, but she was about six feet tall and 200 pounds. Holy moly. She's a tall lady. She's a big, strong, Scandinavian woman. She's a, she's a big lady. Um, sometimes farmers would pass by her house and occasionally see her digging in the parm- the pig pen. Okay. Not suspicious. The next man to visit was Olby Budsberg. <laughs> the names in this are so good. Who upon, uh, who upon arriving in Indiana mortgaged his land in Wisconsin, which is about seven, several thousands of dollars. Why would you do that having never met Brunhilde or whatever? Brumhilt. Did. Brynhild. Whatever. Um, so he he mortgaged his property and got that money and then it's never seen again. <sighs> Stupid. Um, Ol's sons found out about him going to see Belle and she told the boys, I ain't never seen him. I never seen... No, she didn't sound like that. She's from Scandinavia, but don't do a Scandinavian accent. We'll lose anybody we ever had up there. In December 1907, she began corresponding with a farmer from South Dakota named Andrew Halligan. Uh, she wrote, To my dearest friend of the world, no woman in the world is happier than I. I know that you are um, I know that you are now t- to come and be my own. Sorry, this is a really small text. I can t- make it bigger. Eh. You have that power. What? Eh. There you go. I know that you were to come and find me. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take one long to tell when I like a person, and you know I like better than anyone than I like you. Any? Ugh. Holy crap! Wow, that just spiraled out of control. This old English text is just real hard to read. Jesus Christ, she's not old English. She's in the U.S. Yeah, but it's like the it's like Yoda speak. Okay. No, I won't even try because I'll just butcher it even more. She just says he's like the sweetest man in the world and we'll be alone together forever. <laughs> um, come, come and stay prepared. What? Really, really just fucking all this up. Come and stay prepared? Come prepared to stay forever. Oh my gosh. Really just fucking all this up. <laughs> Sorry. Come and stay prepared. <laughs> Would you go if a letter that came to you said, come and stay prepared? I mean, yeah, you know, depending <laughs> on what the context is. So he takes another sip of beer to help him read better. Like if, the, if the context is, come to my, my murder island, come and stay prepared. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Um. So Andrew came out from South Dakota. He's prepared. Yep. And he came with twenty six hundred dollars in savings, Dang. which were then swiftly deposited into uh, Bell's bank account, and then he was not seen from again. Mm. All like all these suitors coming to their house, and the uh, the farmhand Ray Lampier is like, "Man, this really sucks. I'm in love with Bell, and like all these men are getting their chance with Bell." Oh, he's in love with her. Yeah. So he would do like any tasks that she asked of him, and like no matter how gross it was, he was like, "I'll, I'll do it for you, honey." Any task that he asked, yeah. <laughs> you just got like a Minnesota accent. We are in Indiana. That's uh, kind of close. That's sad. Is he like young? He's not. I mean, he's like thirties, forties. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was jealous of all the men coming around the house, and he began making scenes at the house. And she's like, 
Honey, no. So she on February 3rd, she fired Ray. Oh. And then she went to the courthouse demanding a sanity hearing against Ray, saying that he was a menace to the public. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What a... But he was declared gosh. sane. So yeah. Ray's fine. Um, a couple days later, she came back saying that Ray had been harassing her family and that he was now trespassing on their grounds and he was arrested for trespassing. Wow. This is escalating. Yeah. Um, Andrew Helligan's brother. Remember Andrew Helligan? Yep. Brother Asley, A-S-L-E, began writing to Bell asking where his brother was as Andrew had told him that he would be back in roughly a week. And Bell said he probably went to Norway. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think so. That's not That's <laughs> not him. Okay. <laughs> He'll love it there. But she invited Asley to come out and look for her or his brother if he felt so inclined. But like, she's like, if I'm going to be involved in this search, I'm going to look, I'm going to be looking for some cash. Wow. Uh, pew, 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 pew. Uh, where is that bullet? It's in the wrong spot. So Ray's been fired. So of course she needs another farmhand. Farmhand. Hog hand. Hog hand. And it is. Oh my god, my notes are all out of order. So of course Ray's been fired. She's even though she's a strong, independent Norwegian woman. She needs somebody new. And she hired a man named Joe Maxson. Are you sure it's not Joe Maxim? It could be if he's Norwegian. Like the the men's catalog? Yeah. Magazine? Yeah. Isn't it like hot, busty ladies? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Joe's working on the farm, helping out where he can. And as far as I can tell, didn't fall for the uh, attractive 47-year-old woman. The comely. Yep. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Ray became more and more of a problem, according to Bell. She went to a lawyer looking to create a will, saying that Ray had just come and threatened to kill her and burn her house down. Wow. And she just wanted something in the works in case, you know, he did that. In case he did burn her house down. Yeah. Um, so she left her entire estate to her children. She then went to the bank to pay off her mortgage, and did, she never went to the police about this alleged threat. To be honest, at this point in the story, I've lost track of what children she may or may not have. It's all right. It won't matter in <laughs> like two bullets. Okay. Uh, pay off the mortgage and doo -doo -doo, Joe is fired or Joe is hired because that's where my notes are. On April 28th, 1908, Joe awoke to the smell of smoke. He was living in the second uh, floor room in the Gunness house. And when he's like, this doesn't seem right. He opens his door and there's just flames in front of his door. You're always supposed to touch the door first. Stop, dropping. and roll. I don't think it's been invented yet, that Whatever. whole. Whatever. So like the true Chuck tested that he is, he jumps out this second floor window in his underwear to go get the fire department. Nope. What do you mean? Is that what you mean? Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah. Chuck yeah. Testa was invented by Rhett and Link. Well, he wasn't invented. He already exists. He was pushed forward into, Popularized. The, into the world as the gem he is. Um, Sorry. By the time we got back to the house with the fire department, more people that were willing to help put out the fire, there wasn't any there any house there anymore. Yikes. It went fast. In the ruins of the house, they found the bodies of the children still in their beds and the headless body of a woman, assumed to be Belle. Since, headless? 
and no head was ever found. Ray. And then at this point, the sheriff hears of like rumors that like the lawyer told it to this person. The sheriff's like, Ray made a threat like something like this a while back. Let's go find out what Ray's up to. Um, once they find Ray, Ray asks or Ray yeah asks the sheriff if Widow Gunness and the kids got out all right. It was then he was told about the fire. So he's. he's <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Ray! So he denied any involvement in the fire. Ray, and you ask that question after they tell you there was a fire. The decapitation. A witness came forward saying that he had seen Ray running from the house just before the fire started. Wow! And that same witness. Um, According to the witness, Ray told him, if you say anything, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray was charged with murder and arson, and volunteers began to search the property for any additional evidence they could find. Um, some, To some, the headless body didn't sit well with neighbors, including <laughs> including one, um, I don't know what his first n- name was, it was C., his last name is Christopherson, so I'm just hoping it's Chris. Chris Christopherson. I'm just hoping it's that. <laughs> I hope so. Who said the body did not look like Bells and other friends and family that knew about her in town were like, that really doesn't look like her. I mean, she's scorched also, but yeah. So given allowances of decapitation and being burned, the coroner determined it was the body of a woman that was about five foot three and 150 pounds. <gasps> That's not Bell. Um, the, Who's this lady? The clothes makers could also confirm that Bell was about 180, 200 pounds and taller than 5'8. Yeah. So they're like, that's not right. The organs of that body contained lethal doses of strychnine. Sifting through the rubble, they were able to find two porcelain teeth that were confirmed by Bell's dentist to be, yeah, I made those for Bell. Also, fun fact my bosses just went to a dentist in town. And they get foot massages there. What? Excuse me? Yeah. If you're, like, for one, if you're going for, like, oral surgery, you can opt for, like, a, a foot a foot massage one. But when my boss just went there for a cleaning, the woman that does the foot massages is like, you're, it's, my, it's your lucky day. I'm here. So you get a foot massage while his teeth are getting cleaned. Well, my dentist doesn't do that. Be creepy if you did. But I can't change. He's the best dentist. He is he though. He doesn't give you foot massages. Yeah, but he's really great, and also he lives down the road. So. So yeah, go to a dentist that gives you foot massages. Ugh. It was at this point that Asley or Andrew's brother came forward, expressing concerns that um, his brother, you know, went missing when he went to go see Bill. Um, and then Joe Maxson also came forward saying that he had been asked by Bill to fill some depressions in the hog pen. Um, she said they contained rubble and she's like, she just wanted to level them out. So go out there and fix right. those holes. So people went over there to start digging and they found the bodies of Jenny Olson, two mm-hmm. children, Andrew Helligan, Ole Budsberg, Thomas Linbo, Henry Gerholt, Olaf Svenherd, Joe Moe, and Olaf Lindblom. Wow. How um, many is that? In total, they assume about 12 people. But were that's f- just at this property. She was elsewhere before. Yeah. Um, they say about 12 people because their methods for digging up were a little crude. So they're like, this seems like 12 people. Okay. Um, 
On May 19, 1908, seven unnamed victims were buried in two coffins and paupers' graves. So it is three and a half in one, three and a half in the other, I guess. Gross. Um, Also, before the fire, Bell had been talking with um, two men, Lon Townsend and another unnamed man from Arkansas, who were set to, like, visit. So if they had come before the fire, they would have been murdered also, probably. Wow. Wow. Lucky. So at this point, Ray is on trial, and his defense was being hinged on the fact that Bell was not actually dead. His defense was basing that on the fact that if those were actual like teeth that were in the fire, they would have broken and like melted if mm-hmm. they were there at the time. Um, and then Joe Maxson confirmed that he had seen a man named Klondike Schultz <laughs> take the teeth out of his pocket and put them in the rubble. So do you think she hired Ray? Well, you might know. I do know. Sorry. Ultimately, Ray was convicted of arson and acquitted on the murder. Yeah. He was sentenced to 20 years, um, but died just over a year later in prison due to tuberculosis. Aww. Just before dying, Ray confessed to a priest that Bell was still alive and that he had helped her in her crimes. And she poisoned the people who died. Bell would drug suitors and then either split their head with a cleaver or chloroform them in their sleep. And then she would take them down to her basement where she would dissect them. Oh, God. And then Ray would bury the bodies or sometimes feed the bodies to the pigs. Oh, my God. The headless body was that of a woman from Chicago who had come to be a maid. Oh, no. Where then she was decapitated. Oh, no. The kids were chloroformed and then smothered in their beds. Oh, no. And then Ray lit the house on fire. Oh, no. Oh, no. By Ray's count, Bell killed about 42 people. Oh, my God. And she had gotten about $250,000, about $7 million now. Oh, my God. From all those... 42 scammings. people by his count yeah holy crap but they only found 12 ish following this because there's speculation that she didn't actually die in the fire she'd been seen multiple times quote unquote seen yeah. um in 1932 it was alleged that she was still living in um, mississippi just on a farm <laughs> just doing well for herself in 1931 a woman named esther carlson was arrested for poisoning a man in los angeles don't you mean finish sippy Yes. F-I-N-N-I-S-H-I-P-P-I. <laughs> Finish Sippy. It could have been the name of her like estate. <laughs> Finish Sippy. Um, oh some, of the, some of the friends of this woman named Esther Carlson said she bore resemblance to Belle. Mm. Um, this woman, Esther Carlson, died awaiting a trial for the poisoning. And among her possessions were pot- photographs of children similar to Belle's kids. Oh. Um, and then after those crimes came to light, people flocked to Bell's house site. It became like a tourist yeah. site, complete with souvenirs. I don't really know what Teeth. those would have been. <laughs> Here's some charred pig's pe- ears, charred pieces of woods, <laughs> pig's ears for your dog. But that is Bell Gunnis, Brynhild, Paul Slatter, Dorset. <laughs> Gosh, John Jacob Schigelheimer Schmidt. Holy moly, what a story! That's so good semi high profile wow that was a roller coaster and so many great names were said and so many wonderful reading quotes that you had oh yeah that was amazing thank you for sharing um my co-partner in crime natasha at work not me at work, co-partner in crime, Natasha, at work, at work, she's my co-partner in crime. 
You're my co-partner in crime in life. She's just at the office. Murdered like 12 sorry, people not, already. Sorry. Huh? We've murdered 12 people already. At least. Um, she texted me the other day and she was like, <laughs> she, I had told her in the office, I was like, and nobody writes into us because I like to throw our listeners under the bus because when I throw you under the bus, that means I love you. And we've been struggling to hear things because I'm stuck in the office all day. And I don't work with people. And you work outside with my bosses. your two wonderful middle-aged bosses who probably only talk about their children. Mm-hmm. Children are dumb. And you can't really talk about children in well, this context. Well, children are stupid. Anyway. <laughs> so she's like, she knew that I was struggling. And she said, and she prefaced it with, this isn't that good, but... And then she gave me something. She said, this isn't that good, but we just passed the construction near our apartment, and this guy was telling the girl he was canoodling. She used the word canoodling, which I love. He, um, quote, I've done that whole bulldozer thing. Like as a drive bulldozer? Like it was some sort of line. Or like some sort of sex move. She doesn't know. I don't know, but they were canoodling. I've done that bulldozer thing. Bulldozer, I hardly know her. Yeah, that's my line. I know. And I was like, what does that even mean? It sounds like a sex move. Is it a sex move? No, it's a pile driver. What? I don't want to know. Let's look up bulldozer. And now this is the segment when I go to Urban Dictionary. Bulldozing sex Urban Dictionary. Bulldozer Urban Dictionary. Oh. Okay. Read it. No. You got to read it now. No. Everyone, everyone wants to know. Listener, on your own time, you can go to Urban Dictionary and find out what that canoodling man was doing. Maybe. Allegedly. Natasha, you should go look what you told me you heard. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was just like a construction work. I mean, it was a construction worker canoodling a girl. Mm-hmm. And, but like, I maybe he was also alluding to this other thing. Either way, I like to. I like that he was trying to impress her with this, or the fact that he was a construction worker. Both of which are really impressive things to brag about. Bulldozer. I hardly know her. Anywho, that'll do us. You always say this. That'll do it for episode twenty-five. Well, then that'll do it for episode twenty-two. And then that'll do it for episode (laughs) twenty-one. That's the beginning of the end. Also, that'll do, pig. I know, but you always say, "Well, that'll do it." That's Uh your line. That's your go-to. And then so. That'll do it for episode 25. Thanks for tuning in. Quarter Life Crisis Edition. Yeah, going through that every day. Uh, Thanks for listening and being your wonderful, sad Taylor self. Bringing it back, right? I mean, I don't think I ever introduced it. Except maybe once. I wanted to call it all of you guys sad Taylors, like T-A-I-L-O-R-S. Sad Taylors, but you know. It didn't catch on because I didn't introduce it. Anyway. Um, if you enjoyed iTunes review. Yeah. Finger guns. Five stars. Pew, pew, pew. Five. 
is the minimum and the maximum. Yep. Um, socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Sad Tales Podcast. Please. Follow, like, whatever Twitter is, follow. I don't know. Also, please head on over to our Patreon page if you want to give us some monetary love and want to hear another episode from us, Supernatural Tales. So if you go on to Patreon. New this week. Yeah, we just released one. It was pretty good. If I do say so myself, because I did it. Patreon.com slash Sad Tales Podcast. And then you'll find our wonderful page where you can subscribe at different levels and get all sorts of goodies from us because we love you. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Well. Anyone you know. <laughs>